0: Customs and Border Protection says it's taking immediate steps to implement the executive well, order. We don't know if or when the more than
1: 2,300 children are already
0: separated.
1: Confusion.
2: Disarray. Uncertainty. Erickson Immigration Attorneys Lisa Lott-Wedbeck and Matreya Brown demystifies and shed light on the current state of separated families at the border. Why is this happening? To what end does the new executive order keep families together? And how immigration lawyers can play an important role in driving the policy landscape? With both bringing former experiences working at family detention centers Today, we get an inside look on the lives affected and what we can expect moving forward. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us beyond borders. To bring us all up to speed, can you tell us why kids are being separated from their families at the border?
0: So, the law was in place before the idea that any person crossing. The border outside a lawful port of entry outside being inspected and admitted at a lawful port of entry could be under the the law that's been in place for decades could face criminal prosecution what changed in around about april or may was that they started the trump administration started prosecuting every single individual that was found to have crossed or who was believed to have crossed outside those standard ports of entry. Before, there was this policy that was kind of known as catch and release. It was the idea that if someone is found crossing unlawfully, they might have been put into immigration proceedings but not necessarily criminal proceedings. What changed in April and May was that everyone was now referred to criminal proceedings. And the criminal proceedings usually ends up it's just a couple days in jail. Most people plead guilty in order to get out of detention. So there's a lot of guilty pleas, but as a, re- as a repercussion of that, because these individuals were being put into criminal proceedings, they were put into criminal detention. And in criminal detention, you can't have kids. Therefore, as a side effect, not necessarily an intentional part of the zero tolerance policy, but as a side effect of the zero tolerance policy, kids were separated from their parents because their parents were in jail and the kids had to go somewhere that wasn't jail.
2: This Wednesday, the Trump administration, they passed this new executive order, which allows for children to be detained with their parents. With this new executive order, how does this affect the entire sort of process with this?
1: The administration wants the immigration cases to move quicker so that these children are not detained more than 20 days. However, in doing so, we need to make sure that due process isn't effective because we need to make sure that they do, in fact, have a fair trial.
2: We want children to be with their parents. We want families to stay together. But then we have the Flores settlement. It dictates that no child should be in the detentions for 20, 20 days or more, or how does that yeah, work? Yeah, so
1: it was originally an agreement in 1997 and more of a guideline or a framework rather than a set in stone law prohibiting the federal government from detaining children for more than 20 days.
2: So Lisa, do you see any way that this issue that we have can be rectified with the florist settlement and then also keeping children with their parents? What can we see to fix this? There's
0: a couple ways around it. One is to change the florist settlement. is So go for the administration to go back to the courts, I believe that was a Ninth Circuit Court involved in the Flores settlement, and say, you know what, we, we want to rejigger this a little bit. We don't think that we can keep to the requirements of this settlement. And I think that's actually already being done. Notably, in the executive order, the president announced that the policy of the government was to not detain children separately and not to separate families. But there's a lot of caveats in there. There's a lot of things like to the extent that it's possible, to the extent that uh, it, there are resources available. And resources are really short right now. I think there's only about less than 4,000 beds available in family detention centers, 4,000 beds that exist. And most of them are already full. There's two centers in Texas and one center in Pennsylvania. In many ways, there's there's no place to put these people. So that's, that's one problem. So even if you did get, the Flora settlement to be modified, and even if you did get overall the due process issues and overall all the legal barriers to detaining children who are not criminally culpable because they're underage, where are you going to put them? Where are you going to keep them? And one thing that was proposed actually in the executive order was that they're going to go into Department of Defense facilities. Now, this wasn't said straight up that the government is going to put kids on military bases, but the executive order instructed the Department of Defense to provide assistance to the Department of Homeland Security to come up with options. And they actually said the Department of Homeland Security would still be financially responsible. So there are some financial and budgetary ramifications of this. But the reality is that it's possible the only place to put these families would would be at a military situation. At the end of the day, if there is a need, or if there is a policy that says we want to pro- we want to get these families who are not eligible for immigration benefits through the immigration system and through the criminal system as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible, well, it still takes a while if you don't want to violate due process, if you want to uh, keep in the bounds of the law. And in the meantime, you you still have to feed them, you still have to house them, you still have to put them somewhere because. Honestly, if they're released, there's a good chance a lot of those families would go underground. There's a lot of reason for them to go underground. Right now, There's a, it's very hard to make a successful asylum case or a, a successful defensive removal case for various reasons if you're from Central America. So there's a whole lot of of barriers and issues, even if you do change the Flores decision.
2: There's also alternatives to detentions that currently exists, the intensive supervision appearance program, instead of staying at a detention center, they will put on an ankle bracelet with a tracking device and, and allow them to live with maybe if they have like family members already in the U.S., they will just have to do mandatory check-ins with calls or a ICE agent will come in and have to report. This is seen as maybe an alternative to holding them solely at detentions, which is already capacity.
1: Mm. These facilities are overflowing with people. At some of them there's not adequate medical attention or adequate food. So if they if the incoming people do have a family member or somebody who can help them with food or housing, mm-hmm. then right. I think that would be beneficial.
2: And and you actually worked at a detention center yeah. uh, previously, so you know firsthand the sort of conditions that these families were in. So,
1: were you at your, Were you at a family detention center or? Yes. A, oh, okay, All right. Yeah. So I was um, in Artesia, New Mexico. Um, I provided pro, pro bono services in 2014 when there was a very large influx of UACs,
0: unaccompanied, um, yeah. company children, unaccompanied yeah.
1: minors. It was the the big. Surge, um, right? Yes, that was yes. their comment. the Vienna <laughs> Company miners surge. Yeah. And there were definitely some issues uh, there in terms of access. So, for example, not only were they in a new country, you know, there's a new language. There are indigenous languages that aren't as prevalent here, such as the indigenous language of mom. You know, they need access to translators. Also, there's a trust issue of them speaking to a stranger who may not be of their ethnic origin or origin of country.
2: Has it been at times that the conditions weren't up to par? I know there's only so many resources that can be distributed
0: to There's only so many resources the government chooses to, right? We're we're in the United States. (laughs) There is unlimited resources. It's how you choose to
1: distribute them. But um, there's a finite pot of money Give it doing to, the best
2: yeah, that you yeah. can
1: with that. Kind of in addition to that, there is an issue of privacy. We were all in one trailer. There, was no, there were no walls divvied up. Government officials were in the trailer with us. We spoke as quiet as we could, but again, there's no privacy past the point of an interview before an immigrant is put into potential expedited removal seat proceedings or regular removal proceedings, they go through a credible fear interview. So these are the ones who come over the border
0: and immediately say, I want asylum. Uh, So there's a a different procedure for individuals who are in the U.S. and say as a visitor and then claim asylum later. But if you claim asylum at the time of entry, before you are processed into another status, you're put into the the potential migrants are put into expedited removal proceedings, uh, which is kind of a fast track. I mean, already immigration is pretty fast. Or immigration right. removal is pretty fast, but this is a faster version of that.
2: So what are the roles of an attorney within the detention center?
0: So in the expedited
1: removal, you're pretty much there as an observer, right? I was there for a couple of reasons, to just kind of help with paperwork's filings, to represent them in court, though it wasn't necessarily the court that you would think of. Again, it was another trailer with a judge on the screen. That was the court. There was one story that I have where I was going for a credible fear interview. I was representing one of the migrants and she didn't want to tell the officer what had happened to her. She was skating around the issue. And her son, who I believe was about four or five years old, was just sitting next to her on the ground playing. And she wouldn't tell the officer. And it got to the point where I realized we should probably take the child out of the room mm-hmm. so she could feel more comfortable yeah. to tell the officer what had happened to sure. her. Mm-hmm. And so when we did that, that's when she was able to open up more. Mm-hmm.
0: So the role of an attorney is, I feel, sometimes it's part storyteller, part advocate, part researcher, part investigator. At the end of the day, I think in an immigration proceeding you're helping the person tell their story and without an attorney there which is what we're seeing in the vast majority of cases across the United States and even more so at at these expedited removal hearings at the border you have people who who really don't know what part of their story is relevant so you know when you're telling a story to a buddy of yours and it's probably hilarious in your head but you can <laughs> tell it, it
2: you,
0: but you can tell it and you like tell the whole story you tell this bit and this bit and and there's like, and then I found $5, right? And then the next time you tell the story, you get better at it and you get a bigger laugh. And then by the time you're, you've are you told your story two or three times, you've got it down, you've got the key bits, you got the punchline. It's like practicing a joke. And it gets better and more effective as you hone it and as you get input from others. And sometimes that's someone's like, eh, that wasn't that funny, right? That's kind of the role of an attorney, is helping someone tell their story in a very, an effective way given incredible constraints of time, incredible fear, making sure that they're in, they have the ability and they have the environment that allows them to tell that story in an effective way. They, the president came out a few days ago with a quote saying, why, why do we give them access to attorneys? Because the, the attorneys help these people lie. And that is inaccurate. It's more about an attorney helping someone tell the truth in an effective way. Mm-hmm. So how do you get truth across in a way that is compelling and as a way that is legally relevant, right? There's so many irrelevant topics. If you have five seconds to get a judge on your side or five minutes, or if you're lucky, 30 minutes, probably less. What is the first thing you need to say? How do you need to order that? That's the role of a attorney. That's how a attorney can really help in these cases.
2: Thinking back to the children, the last I saw was 2300, mm, yeah. uh, around 2300 for those who are already displaced, what do we do with those children? There's some flown out to like New York, separated by thousands of miles.
0: Mm. Yeah, there's, there's a group that started as a Facebook group and now has exploded in a wonderful, fulfilling, supporting way called Lawyers for a Good Government, which is mobilizing to find legal ways to reunite these families. When government doesn't do their job, civil society steps in. I think this is something that we've seen historically. When governments fail to act, the role of the lawyers, the role of professionals becomes that much more important. The role of the rest of the community becomes that much more important. And something that I've been thinking a lot about is, in Pakistan, when there was was government corruption, lawyers were the ones who went out into the streets. Lawyers were the ones who spoke up. Societies like Sudan, lawyers are the ones who are defending the rights of the people against the government, and who are saying this is not okay. We have, we can, and we have to do better. And stepping in and to fulfill that that government role. So we are seeing that we are seeing groups mobilize. We're seeing the American Immigration Lawyers Association mobilize. We're seeing uh, big law firms with a lot of resources partnering with pro bono associations mm-hmm. to to work on. To to use their resources to help these projects, we're also seeing established immigrant rights groups like Northwest Immigrants Rights Project, the Florence Immigrant Rights Project. Uh, they're they're also mobilizing and getting additional resources because it's it's going to be a long discussion. We've I've been watching immigration now for a decade, seeing the litigation, seeing the legislation, and there's energy right now to have things like impact litigation, appeal these cases to the, to circuits, appeal these cases to the Supreme Court if need be, find sustainable and long-lasting legal solutions to this problem and, and to fight when there is law on your side.
2: We, we do have a temporary solution with the executive order as we talked earlier. Whether... But we also
0: saw in the wake of the, this, this mm-hmm. it's interesting you call it a temporary solution because part of the reason the executive order was there and part of it was part of an ongoing legislative debate. When the executive order passed, we immediately saw the next day a bill fail in Congress. So, it is temporary. We do need meaningful immigration reform, <laughs> comprehensive immigration reform. Yeah. I feel like I've been talking about this for a decade because <laughs> I've been talking about this for a decade, right? <laughs> so uh, it, it's interesting yeah. to see. There, there's a lot of different pieces at play. You have policy pieces, you have legislative pieces, you have litigative pieces of uh, lawsuits going in place, and they're all working together. And it's it's interesting that when one piece moves the other pieces move in reaction to it so mm-hmm. you see an executive order and then you see legislation that looked like as of monday i, I was writing articles about how this had a sh- chance and then all of a sudden thursday everything was gone right yeah. so Still it's going to be interesting air. to see yeah. how in the next especially after the midterms mm-hmm. i honestly don't think anything's going to happen uh so. the Everyone, go, the Congress goes on recess, recess at the end of July. They're going to be out for a week for the Fourth of July holiday. I don't think anything's getting done because as soon as they hit the July, the August recess, then it's summer, and then they come back for a little bit and then they campaign again. So nothing, nothing's going to get done. I think we're done for for the congressional calendar mm-hmm. until after midterms.
2: I'm really thinking about like these alternatives mm-hmm. to almost uh, to alleviate a little bit of the pressure on the detention centers. Mm-hmm. You guys have direct experience with that and its capacity. We'll see if we might put a little more funding into those programs.
0: I am less optimistic, which is strange for me.
2: About using the <laughs> About alternatives, alternatives? to detention. Okay.
0: These have been in place. Variations of these have already been in place. And people will go for the regular check-in for every month or so, or every six months, And for years, they check in, no problem. They check in, no problem. They check in, no problem. They check in, they get deported, they're on the next plane. If you expect people to cooperate with those programs, there have to be a lot more protections. And the community has in recent years seen that even if they do check in, even if they do obey the rules, that doesn't necessarily mean the government won't change the rules on them behind their back. So I think it's going to take a lot of trust. I don't think it would happen in this administration. I don't think it People would have that trust in their government.
1: But at the same time, you also need to think about why is this person coming into the U.S.? Are they coming in for protection or are they coming in for a monetary gain? Mm. It's usually (laughs) mixed, I think, usually. Um, But if it's more for protection, then I think that person might be more likely to show up to check-ins or their court hearings. If they can have an
0: attorney there with them, if they can be confident that their rights will be protected. Yeah, I definitely agree.
2: For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at EIGLaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIGLaw to join in the conversation. Thank you for listening. See you next time.